Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. All right, so tonight we'll deal with uh, chapter 3, and we're going to deal with pressure or with uh, being squeezed because you're going to see that the king's going to squeeze the people and then the leaders of the political leaders will squeeze and then they have the musicians that get up there and emotionally try to get you to do what you're supposed to do and then actually they're the king will threaten uh, your life if you don't bow down to the statue that's made remember last week as we we talked about um the, the statue, we talked about the head of the statue being made of gold, the head representing King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, uh, the Babylonian kingdom. And, and so what the king does in this chapter, he decides he's going to defy God and he's going to make a gold statue of himself or a statue that his kingdom will never be destroyed. And so uh, one of the things we talked about this past Sunday was the Gentile woman and the faith that she had. And, and the biggest thing that I hope you take away from this chapter is the faith that we, we stand in. Uh, we stand in victory. We stand with the Lord. And, and um, you know, the, the Gentile woman in Mark chapter 7, verse 24 and 25, it says, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had unclean spirit, heard of him, and came and fell down at his feet. Remember, she was begging. She was, everything was against her. She had Satan against her because her daughter was filled with an unclean spirit. She had the, 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 the disciples that were against her because they were telling her to go away. Make her go away. Because she was lamenting. She was crying out. And then you have Jesus question her. And then she still, in that famous word, she says, yes, Lord, which is awesome. And, and, and she triumphed because of the, the faith that she had. And Jesus says that in Matthew 15, 28. It says, then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as your desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. And so faith should mark our lives. It's, it's an uncompromising stand for God. And, and Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, a verse that we know very well, it says, For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, and it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man or no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them 
We walk in faith. We don't talk about faith. Right? It's easy. <laughs> you'll, you'll meet people, uh, maybe that you know that you, you, man, they think, you think, man, they're really spiritual, but when the storm comes, they're not talking as like they used to. You know, it's, it's we walk by faith. That's what Second Corinthians 5, 7 says. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So we base our, our lives on God's teachings. And we walk by that faith. We trust in the truth of God's Word. Even though we look at the, the world that we're in and we're going, how is this supposed to work? We have to trust God and be confident in Him. And what we see now is we're, as we dive into the Scripture in, in Daniel chapter 3, we're not sure exactly how much time has elapsed here because it doesn't give us that in the Scripture. could be months. could be a couple years. But we're not sure. But we know that the image that is made was a golden image based upon what he had heard in the interpretation that we heard last week in Daniel chapter 2. So he's defying God and saying, I'm going to build a statue and my kingdom's not going away. That's what he's doing. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and his breadth uh, 6 cubits. And he set up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So the king is, is going to be defiant. And it comes back to Daniel chapter 2, verse 38. And it talks about uh, making you rule over the all. You are the head of gold. And that's what he was saying to Nebuchadnezzar. You are the head of gold. And when we get into chapter 7, we're going to deal with that prophecy. But the one thing I hope that you remember from chapter 2 is those prophecies were fulfilled. Those kingdoms fell exactly how God said they would to Daniel. And so eventually the stone that destroys the statue is Christ. Okay, so that's one thing to remember about that. And here we have a king who's trying to rebel against God, and he's saying, you know, my kingdom's going to last forever. It's not. It's not. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom barely lasted over 80 years. That was it. And, and, and it talks about the gold, the idolatry there. It's, uh, and, and one of the things that we need to remember is idolatry is a subtle strategy that Satan uses to take control of God's children. It's subtle to control you. It's, it is, it's done in a very subtle way. And we have to be very careful of that. And we learn that the king is rebelling. We know in Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, Why do the nations, nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, uh, the raging of the nations. So one of the things that he's talking about is he's saying no matter what coalition, and this is something very important to us to remember, no matter what coalition, no matter who threatens the people of God, they will not have victory. Right? Now, a lot of a lot of Christians don't see that way. They they look at the things that are happening in the world and they 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 base their decisions based on the things of the world. And we have to remember that our our threats of humanity doesn't this is not it for us. This is not it for us. If anything, what we saw last night was a glimmer of hope. 
And maybe the nation's waking up and turning back to the Lord. It needs to happen, right? In Psalm 2, verse 4, as that verse continues going on, as it says, against the Lord and against His anointing, saying, He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. So, as all these things are happening, what is God doing? He's laughing. As, as King Nebuchadnezzar sitting there trying to make a statue, he's laughing. My son's going to crush that. You know, and, and so one of the things that we need to remember is as Christians, and, and we see people do this all the time, you can stand up against the tornado and throw things at it, but it's not going to do anything. Right? And so when we're raging against God, that's what it's like. And so we have to be very careful of that. The people of Israel rebelled against, against the Lord. Time and time again, they were disobedient. In Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, it says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. They're rebelling against God. They're thinking, hey, it would have been better for us to be out back in Egypt in slavery. And that's what we'll do when we're going through tough times is we'll start looking back in the past. And we need to be very careful of that. God has you today, in, t in this moment today. And, and so... You know, just like us, we can go, man, I remember when that was going on and things were so much better. I don't know why we're going through what we're going. You're going through that because it's, it's, it's growth. It's trials. It's suffering. It's tribulations. Things that God, that Jesus told you was going to happen. And those are hard to, to, to have somebody tell you that. But one of the things that we have to understand is like, I love the, what we have as we look in these scriptures these young men were like, no, man, we got God, right? In Numbers chapter 14, verse 3, it says, Why is the Lord bringing us into the land or fall by the sword of our wives and, and, and our little ones will become prey? Would it not be better for us to go, take, uh, go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So they're done with Moses and Aaron. They're like, we're done. We're going to go back to Egypt. They just walked through the Red Sea. And they're that quickly walking away from God. They saw the miracles of God. So do you think that you're going to go through some times when your faith is getting knocked around a little bit? You are. It happens. But I love that Moses and Aaron, they knew that they were rebelling against God and that they were sinning against God. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Yephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we uh, passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. 
and a land that flows with milk and honey. I love Joshua and I love Caleb because they're the even if people. Even if this happens, God is with me. Don't be a what if, right? You start playing that game. Well, what if this happens? Well, what if this isn't taken care of? Well, what if, what if we can't pay the, the bills? I've been through that. I remember early on in my faith, we were going through, through struggles. And I remember being a what-if person. And, and then eventually I became the even-if. Well, even if we can't, God will figure it out. Because I can't. And I know that's where some of y'all are at today. Even if you can't figure it out, God has you. Trust that. Lean on that. Trust, trust that you have the Lord. And I love it. It says in verse 9, it says, Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. He's telling them, don't even fear the people of the land because you have God. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting and all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long would these people despise me? And how long would they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. They were rebelling. They were rebelling. It's the same thing that King Nebuchadnezzar is doing. He's rebelling. He has seen a sign from God. An interpretation of a dream that only God could interpret. And yet he builds a golden statue, a false idol. Right? Same thing with the people of Israel. They've seen the signs. They know. That's why it says, in spite of all the signs that I have done for them. If you want to look back in the past, look back at what God has done for you. Remember when God did this? Remember when we didn't have a car and somebody just donated a car to us? It, it, I, you know, it happens. And we see what happens in Numbers 14. We pick it up in verse 28. It says, say, say to them as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do you. Your, your dead body shall fall in the wilderness and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward. Uh, whoever grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except for Caleb, the son of Japhonah, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Everybody else is dying in the wilderness because they were rebelling. So when we, we see King Nebuchadnezzar making the statue of gold, he is rebelling against God. When we don't want to do what God is putting on our heart to do, we're rebelling against God. If God has put something on your conscience that you're supposed to obey and you decide not to obey it, there's going to be a consequence for that. Just like if you obey it, there's a blessing, right? It's part of, part of our walks. It's how we, you know, at the end of the day, we, we're blessed when we, when we follow the Lord. The, 
It says whose height there, as we pick it up in chapter 1, uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, it says whose height was 60 cubits and his breadth six, 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So the statue is actually 90 feet high. It's, it's 90 feet in height and it's about 9, nine feet wide. And it's not to be, they don't believe it was made all in gold. There wasn't enough gold for them to be able to get their hands on at the time. So it was kind of overlaid in gold. So it probably was a wooden statue with overlaid gold on it. And then it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar set to gather the satraps, which is actually just a governor, uh, a governor of Persia, the province there. And it also, some of you may have in your translations that may say prince. So that's what that is, the satraps. And the prefects, and then the prefects can also be known as governors as well. And the governors also, Scripture, some of them say captains. The counselors, the treasurers, the justice, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So how do we picture this, right? Because this is, this is basically his administration. So the best way for us to picture this, and I'm not trying to make this into a political thing, it's just so you can get a picture of what's happening here. So just think about when we have the, uh, when we do the, the State of the Union, right? Doesn't matter what party you're with, okay? We're not getting into all that. You have the president, you have the vice president, you have the head of the Congress, you have the Senate, you have the Supreme Court, you have the generals, right? Uh, you know, you have uh, the administration there. And then you have guests. And so this is kind of what he's doing here is he's calling his administration together. And he's going to make them bow down to the, uh, to the statue. It says in verse 3, Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for their dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that, the ne that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded. There's a command from the king. You are commanded, all people, nations, languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the, whor uh, the harp, the bagpipe, and, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So he's going to force them to worship him. He's going to squeeze and, and, and uh, put pressure on them. And, and one of the things that I thought about is, you know, we have the three young men that stand up, right? But how many of those Jewish exiles actually bow down? They, they didn't stand for it, right? They just went ahead and said, hey, man, I'm going to bow down because I'm not going to get thrown into the, <laughs> right? And, but it tells us in Scripture about bowing down to false gods. It, it tells us very specifically in, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. And this is very important here. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven 
above or that is in the earth or that was in the water under the earth and you shall not bow down to them or serve them right for i the lord your god i am a jealous god visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to those those who love me and keep my commandments See, this is something that's very important for us to think about. Because we have to ask ourselves, am, am I going to stand with God? Am I going to reject God? Am I going to be defiant to God? Am I going to rebel against God? Because guess what? We know Christians that do that. We know people that will reject heaven and hell. There's no such place. There are Christians that believe that. They're being defined to God because it's specifically written in the Bible. Uh, the Bible is irrelevant. I reject that. That's rebellion against God. Uh, the Bible has a bunch of errors in it. That's a new progressive thing that's being taught right now. It's just a bunch of stories. Well, that's false teaching. Let's see, what we do is we're rejecting and being defiant to the God that we claim. We claim God, but yet we uh, reject Him. How about the, the moral stance of marriage and sin? Well, I think the culture should allow anybody to be married. Well, you're rejecting what God's Word says then. You're in defiance against God. You're rebelling against God. And so we see this now in our culture today, and it's something that we need to be aware of. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. That's why I said idolatry is a subtle strategy that Satan uses to take control of God's children. And it can be control of you in a very subtle way. Just think about Eve. In the garden. How subtle that was. Right? And so we understand that we are going to have to go through pressures. And the king is not actually just not using just one type of pressure. He's going to use, I'm the king. I've commanded you to do this. And then not only he's going to use that, he's going to use peer pressure. Because he's going to bring the political leaders with him. And they're going to do it. Right? And they're all standing before the, 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 uh, the statue, and, and here they are, and next thing you know, hey, let's play the music. What does music do? It, it, it evokes an emotion. What was Satan? Satan was actually a worship leader who wanted to be worshipped. And here we see music. That's why I love you know, at the end of the day, we have worship before the Word to draw us into God's Word. It's the song today. It's like, I, you know, about bowing down. You know, how great thou art. You know, and that's at the end of the day, it's like they, they use the king's command. They use political force. They use the crowd, the peer pressure. They use the music to invoke an emotional response. And then finally, he's going to use fear. Sound familiar? 
Remember, it tells you there's nothing new under the sun. See why I picked the book? Okay? We don't need to really go into all that because it's, it's so evident in the, in the Scripture today. Right? But it says, And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. So not only does he have all those other things that he's squeezing them with, but now he uses fear. And then he says, Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the, or the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set down. And here we have to think to ourselves, how many of those Jews fell down and worshipped the God, the false God? Because there were only three that stood up. Right? Only three that stood up. You know, that's why what we see happening today is like if, if God has put a conviction on somebody and they have to stand up and, and, and do what God is calling them to do, and it goes against the culture, it goes against the, the mandates and all the other stuff, and that's what God is calling them to do. And it says, and I love this because here's where the snitches show up, right? What is it, snitches get stitches? Right? Therefore, at a certain time, the Chaldeans came forward and uh, maliciously accused the Jews. Right? They're like, hey man, they're not doing it. And point them out. And they declared King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Again, they're going to stroke the king's ego. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. So the Chaldeans accuse the Jews of not worshiping the, the idol, the statue. And so we have to ask ourselves a question in this is when is it all right for me to stand for the Lord? Now I'm going to give you some biblical points here. And, and you know, there are times when we have to stand up. And let's look at Exodus chapter 1 verses 15 through 22. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one who was named uh, Shiphrath and the other uh, Puah, uh, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if, a son, if it's a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. They were commanded by a king to do something that they, in their conscience, could not do. Okay? And they, they can get in trouble, but you see what happens here. It says, So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwife said to Pharaoh, 
Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, uh, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives come to them. So God dwelt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all these people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall, not, you shall let every daughter live. And so what they do is they, they didn't obey what the king had told them to do. They actually, they didn't lie to the Pharaoh. They probably just said, hey, you don't have to rush over there as they give birth. But we're not killing the babies. Very important point here. I wish more people would take the stand of, because we had a lot of Christians, if we look at that verse, a lot of Christians went ahead and said yes when they voted. To go ahead and let's kill the, the sons and the daughters. Because they did what? They went with the world. Emotions and feelings. We don't never, ever do things that God has put on our heart and, and have emotions and feelings in our decisions. We need to remove that. Because what happens is when we have emotions and feelings, we want to we be upset at the person that over here that we're voting for, and we're going to go for this person, even though this person goes against God's word. And, well, he's pro-abortion. Well, I, I can't stand that person, so I'm going to vote for that person. And you compromise. And you don't realize that you're rebelling against God. You think God wants us to kill little babies? No. I mean, it's in Exodus. They refused to do what the king said, the Pharaoh. In Romans chapter 13, verse uh, 5 says, Therefore one must be subjection uh, not only to, uh, to God's wrath, but also to the sake of conscience. And so one of the things we need to realize is that any person, citizen, can obey the law because of fear of punishment, but a Christian ought to obey because of conscience. So, of course, the, the government interferes with the conscience, and the Christian must obey God rather than human authority. So if God has put something on your heart, on your conscience... You need to stand for what God has put on there. You don't do what the government says. And that's a hard thing. I understand that. But if, if God has placed that on your heart, and it's, on, it's been placed in your conscience, you need, to, you need to understand that the authority you follow is the Lord. It's the Lord. Warren Worsby has a very good point as he writes this out, trying to explain this. Because it's important. This is In the times that we're in right now, this is a very hot-button topic. And um, he says this, The difference between the true believer and the unbeliever isn't the presence of faith, because everybody lives by faith in something. The difference is the object of that faith. The crowd believed, the herald and, and the king and therefore they obeyed, but the three Hebrew men believed the commandment of God, so they disobeyed. What did it say in Exodus? Not to stand, not to bow to idols, right? They're doing what God's word says. 
The crowd had, uh, had the, you know, a faith that was out of fear, but the, the Jews had a confident faith that was in God. They were standing with God. That's why it tells us in Acts chapter 5, verse 27, and when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the, the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in the name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring man's blood upon us. But Peter, the apostle, answered, We must obey God rather than man. There may come a time where the churches have to go underground. And we must obey God rather than man. I'm supposed to teach the Word of God. Whether that's in my house or whether I have to go hide and do that, I'm going to do that. And so we need to understand these things as we look in them. What does it tell us very simply in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, any of us can obey a law because of fear of punishment. But a Christian ought to obey because of conscience. Of course, the government interferes with conscience. And the Christian must obey God rather than human authority. And what will happen here is, is one of the things that we see is, have y'all noticed somebody's missing? The book's named after who? Daniel. He's not mentioned. Now, uh, one of the things that we've, <laughs> one of the things that have happened over the, the past few hundred years here, when liberal theologians will actually say that Daniel actually bowed. That's one of the teachings that, if you have a commentary that says that, you need to throw that commentary book out. I, w I wouldn't trust anything else to the commentaries <laughs> in there. But there are liberal theologians that will use and say, well, Daniel had to be there, and so he bowed. But does that, doesn't that contradict what Scripture says? If he, in the first chapter, when they try to bring him food, and he goes, can't eat it. Can't eat it. It's been, it's been you know, false gods. You know, y'all prayed over that stuff. I can't eat the, have the wine or the food. I need to eat something else. And so people will do that. This is the same Daniel that's going to go into the lion's den praying. Right? You can't pray to God. He's going to pray. So the text doesn't give us that, but that's one of the things that's, again, I remember I talked to you all about progressive Christianity. This is the mess that they teach. And so that's why you need to, if, if the context of Scripture, remember context is king. So if, it, if it's not in the Scripture, you can't assume because it's not given to you. And that's what that the, you know, those the liberal theologians are doing. They're assuming that Daniel's there. But the Scripture doesn't give that to us. In verse 13, it says, The Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage. So he's upset, right? Everybody but these three people bowed. And now he's upset. Commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought so that they brought these men before the king. So he's enraged now. And so one of the things that we need to remember about this as we get to chapter 4, remember God is trying to pursue King Nebuchadnezzar's heart. Because remember, King Nebuchadnezzar ends up repenting. Okay? 
Now, you may have a King Nebuchadnezzar in your life where you go, there's just no way. Right? But God is pursuing them. It tells us that in Daniel chapter 4, verse 37. It says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the King of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. When we read that, you go, man, that's not the guy who's in rage right now, right? But God humbles him. God will humble him, and, and, and God will deal with prideful people. It's, it's something that we know. It's, it, sometimes what the Lord will do is allow you to hit rock bottom. And then He can, he can deal with you because you're so prideful. And, and so He'll use those circumstances. Remember we talked about it this past week. We talked about um, in, in John 15, verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me uh, that does not bear fruit, uh, He takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, He prunes, that it may be more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he is it, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't do anything without Christ. Not unless you're doing what? Abiding. Obedience. Not rebelling. Sometimes we have all these things that are going on in our life. It's because you're rebelling against God. And sometimes it's just because it's Tuesday or Wednesday. And God is going to use those circumstances to grow you. Right? Those branches get cut back. Remember when we talked about it this past weekend. When they, when they go through the, uh, the wine country, they cut those branches back after they've uh, they produced the, the grapes. So that way they'll produce even more grapes. But they look like they've killed the plant. And sometimes that's what God does is he has to he has to cut away and cut deep so you can produce even more fruit. And God will use that to glorify him. In verse 14, we'll get ready to close it up here. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, it is true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my God or worship the golden image that I have set up. And so he stands, these three men stand up together. And they're stepping up for the Lord. Esther says this in Esther 4, 14. It says, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish, and, no, uh, and, and who knows whether you uh, have not come to this kingdom for such a time as this. And so one of the things I love about that verse is like, you can either participate or God's going to move on to the next person. You can either get out off the bench and get involved in doing God's work or God's going to use someone else. You know, that's, that's how that works. And so we, we need to understand that we can be an essential part of God's plan, but if you want to be rebelling and not, not, not uh, participating, He'll move on to somebody else. That's a very funny thing here because guess what? If I went to plant the church here, somebody else would have. He would have moved on to somebody else. 
It's that simple. Right? Remember, he, he wants to be able to use us and, 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 and use us for his kingdom. So you can be a part of the work or you can sit on the bench. It's up to you. He would rather you be a part of the work. Remember, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk